Hey y'all, I'm Louie. I'm a digital creative and creator of the Gravadones Project, and you're listening to the Plot Twist Podcast. What's going on, my people? Y bienvenidos. Welcome back to another episode of Plot Twist. Thank you all so much for tuning in once again, and if this is your first time, Thank you so much for pressing play. <laughs> I do appreciate it. Hopefully you stick around for the whole episode because this is a very special episode. So stick around, y'all. But anyway, happy Tuesday, everybody, or whatever day it is for you. But as far as on um, Plot Twist Avenue, you know what I'm saying? It is a Tuesday because these episodes do come out on Tuesdays at noon Pacific Standard Time. This is the new Dika Media rollout. Um, we have a whole new schedule for this new season. I'm super excited. So every Tuesday, you will be expecting new episodes from Plot Twist. Um, and a little background for those who are new, Plot Twist is the podcast where we highlight the culture and create community one conversation at a time. So what I do is I bring on guests from different backgrounds, different walks of life. Um, we've had guests from literally coast to coast. And it has been just such a great space for all of us to connect and find out about each other's platforms, each other's connections and stories and, you know, find some um, relatability in in our come up journey and highlight the story. Um, and so throughout the, the episodes, you're going to hear me ask the question to the guests. Um, what is your plot twist or in other words what is the shift and change that got you to where you are today and that's a question that i ask every single one of my guests because it's important to highlight the story um and the shift and the change that that gets us to the moment that we're in life anyway y'all will tune into all of those episodes i'm sure um but as far as today um, I'm really happy about this um, episode and the way that it really turned into a whole first full circle moment. Um, as for all of those who are here for season four, you all listen to uh, me share some really deep experiences about life and just some moments with you guys that I haven't really shared in many other um, spaces. So in that season, I mentioned uh, The Gran Varones, a digital platform based on pop culture, queer history, and community storytelling through a Black Latinx lens. And this platform has been something that I came across a few years ago, and it has been just super instrumental, you guys, in my self-discovery journey and just seeing different things from a different lens and really understanding that... Um, that my journey, my journey, look at me pronouncing all the letters in this, <laughs> this goddamn language. Um, I really feel like it, it helped me feel seen in ways that I hadn't really f felt seen before. And not to really get too poetic on y'all, but it really made like the darkness that queerness can be for some of us Latinx men. It really made that darkness feel welcoming and not really so dark anymore. And yeah, I really felt embraced digitally, <laughs> whatever that really might mean for some of us. But I did feel feel some type of embrace through the digital space. Oh, come on, poetry. <laughs> so it's it's really fucking dope to see um, to see this connection with Louis and the the project that he's been working and building uh, for quite a few years. Um it's just really nice to hear the story behind it. And I'm just such a fan of Louis, such a fan of this platform, even more now. And I hope you guys are as well. So 
anyway, before I um, talk myself into a hole, um, feel free to follow us on socials, you guys. You'll be up to date on whatever's going on with the plot, with the plot cast. That could work, putting a tab on that. Um, so, yeah, follow us on the socials at Plot Twist Podcast. That is P-L-O-T-W-I-S-T Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. I do apologize, guys. Twitter streets have been a little um, dry. (laughs) I definitely have not been as active as I've wanted to be in these last few weeks since the season dropped, but I will be making an effort to post a few more tweets throughout the week. So just like most of your favorite podcasts, my people, I'm willing to bet that they also have segments as well. So if this is your first time here, expect some segments. We are going to be getting into it. The first segment of the show is La Ventana. What are we throwing out of the window today, you guys? La ventana means the window, and sometimes you just gotta let that big old window open and air that shit out. So on today's ventana, we are throwing out horoscope birth charts. (laughs) For those of you guys who have listened to season four, you know we had a whole episode on horoscopes, but the reason I'm throwing these out of la ventana for right now is because... I got scammed on CoStar into believing that I'm a Cancer Rising, but Snapchat birth chart says that I'm a Scorpio Rising. So if you didn't know, Snapchat has the option to finding out your horoscope birth chart, apparently. Pretty cool. Somebody on Clubhouse told me about that the other day. And it says on Snapchat that I'm a Scorpio Rising. And the reason why I believe this one a little bit better is because it actually found the city that I'm born in. Crazy enough, right? The other one on CoStar only found the town that neighbors the city that i was born in and i was like well this is fucking weird but i'm gonna go with it right i don't know shit about this stuff so now years down the game down the line in the game or whatever maybe not in the game because i don't really know shit um it's interesting to find out that now i'm a scorpio this whole time i've been trying to figure out what the fuck (laughs) cancerian attributes are and now i have to figure out what scorpio ones are But I did tell my Scorpio friends, and they were like, wow, this makes sense. So I don't know. I don't fucking know. That's why I'm throwing them out the window until further um, research and further knowledge. (laughs) It does say here on Snapchat that Scorpio risings, um, when meeting people, you tend to either be very charming or very disinterested. I can say that that is a fact. (laughs) So, yeah, guys, you can definitely check out your horoscope birth chart on Snapchat if you haven't already thrown birth charts out of your ventana. (laughs) But, yeah, guys, go ahead and send me your ventana um, rant segment session, whatever, (laughs) to at Plot Twist Podcast on Instagram or Twitter. You can also email it if you're feeling fancy with it. Send those over, you guys, so I can so I can read one next week. Um. Yeah, guys, thank you guys so much for that. God, man, I can't believe I thought I was a cancer rising this whole time. 
fucking scammed. I tweeted on Twitter as you do. <laughs> I was I put a um a gif of Joanne the scammer um and it was like me on my way to go scam the world as a Libra Gemini Scorpio now. <laughs> that shit really fucking made me laugh. But anyway, Anyway, shout out to the Libras, shout out to the Geminis and the Scorpios, the Cancers, you guys get our honorable mention today. <laughs> Until further notice. But yeah, guys, like I said, I don't know shit about horoscopes, so don't take my word for it. Go do your own <laughs> research. Go do the research that I haven't done. <laughs> I'll be doing that. Maybe I'll have another follow-up Mentana segment next week. I don't fucking know. But if you do know about horoscopes and all of this jazz... Like I said, I do love to hear it, and I do love to to read about it from time to time. So hit me in, hit me in the DMs with a good link if you got one. Put me on, because you don't know what you don't know. All right, you guys, on this segment, every single week, I will be bringing you guys something that is of the culture, something that is black, something that is brown that I want you guys to know about. Sometimes it could be a little bit of a history lesson. That's kind of what it was last episode. Sometimes it's a business. Sometimes it's a podcast. I don't know. It'll be something that's black and brown that you definitely need to know about. Because like I said, on this podcast, we highlight the culture and create community. Folks, my people, my people of the World Wide Web, I have something that I have been super looking forward to. Last episode, I hinted at it. And aside from today's Sala conversation, this is like something that I was also really looking forward to sharing with you guys. And I'm super excited to tell you guys that your boy, yours truly, has officially launched his first small business. That's right. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, we did. <laughs> Y'all, I'm so fucking excited. I am so excited because it's almost like one of the weights off my shoulders was lifted because it was definitely something that I was holding on to for a minute. And I'm just really proud of myself that I was able to successfully launch the brand yesterday. I'm really fucking proud of myself, you guys. And that's something that we need to normalize is literally saying that we're proud of ourselves because sometimes we wait for people to say it for us. But there's a lot of power that I felt through saying that I am proud of myself. So the brand is called Buena Vida Essentials. And what it is, is a CBD lifestyle brand based around a CBD infused product. What I've been making since for most of the pandemic is a mango cocoa butter that is infused with CBD oil. I have all the rundown on the Instagram page. Go follow Buena Vida Essentials. I'm super excited, guys. The concept that I came up with, I'm personally a fan of and a lot of my friends have been really liking it. So I just feel really pleased and really blessed and you know, like I said, hella proud of myself. So go on over to Buena Vida Essentials. I have a whole live video that explains the background, the inspiration, uh, the cultural roots behind why I did it. Um, yeah, guys, like I said, and I'm sure you can hear through my voice. <laughs> I'm just super excited. I'm really ready to see how this project that turned into a small business is going to continue to to grow. Um you know, shameless plug, but on day one, we sold out of both products. Like, I'm just super blessed for that, to have a community of people that believe in 
the products that I make. Um, yeah, just mil gracias, just 100%, like, <sighs> the gratitude, guys, just over um, overflown. My cup has definitely overflown. So if you guys want to place a pre-order, by all means, go ahead and place a pre-order at Buena Vida Essentials. The link is in the bio. I will be taking pre-orders until the rest of the week so that I can restock and create more because there is obviously a necessity for CBD in the community. Honestly, guys, thank you, thank you, thank you. So if you are a listener that is also now a customer of Buena Vida Essentials, I really appreciate it. And if you can't be a customer just yet, it's all good. No stress. Just go follow the page and go see what's going on. I would love to see you guys there hitting like, dropping a comment. You know, it's a community space at the end of the day as well. It's not just a place for you to shop. So come through y'all Buena Vida Essentials on Instagram. All right. We're going to get into the sala. We got our guest coming through, Louis of the Gran Varones. I'm super hype, y'all. Welcome, Louis. What's going on? Como estas? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for the invite. Yeah, no problem. So, Louis, what are, um, well, first of all, introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and what are your pronouns and how do you identify? Um, Louis, um, he, him, his. I identify as gay, sometimes queer, um, you know, depending on space and how I'm feeling politically. Um, born and raised in Philadelphia, and I'm a father of an 18 year old. And I'm the creator of Gran Varones, which is a digital storytelling project that is part queer music history and part community storytelling. I love it. I love it. So y'all might have heard me speak about Gran Varones in probably season two of last season. Go ahead and check that episode out if you haven't. But um, you already told us a little bit about what Gran Varones is, but what what, is, what was the vision behind it? What was the reason why you created that space? You know, every time I ask this question, I'm like, Louis, next time, make it shorter. But essentially is, um, you know, Philadelphia is a, met- a, major, a huge city, but it's like the rest of the country racially segregated. Um, and there just wasn't any space for Latinx or Afro-Latinx gay men. Um, primarily, right? There, there were Latinites, but those typically be those are typically borrowed spaces. Um, so, me and my best friend um, wanted to create something to build community, but we didn't have any resources. So we were like, let's do something in the digital space, um, and that's kind of like how we landed on Gravadona. So, like, it really was, um, you know, I had the idea, like a lot of people like help make this happen you know like from the name of the project it came from a friend of mine that i grew up with um the inspiration came from her boyfriend who said that i should be taking more pictures um so it was like you know getting feedback from different community members like oh i should be a photographer well let me create a project because that's how my mind works with and i said i'm going to do you know um interview um queer folks in north philly and then when I told that to his girlfriend, she was like, well, then you have to hear the song called um, El Gran Varon. 
And then I took the idea to my best friend. He was like, yeah, we need to do this because I don't know anybody. I'll get to meet people. So it was like all of these things, but other than wanting to create a space um, and build community, that was pretty much our short vision. I never had any idea or even dreamed of everything that the project has become and all that I've experienced with it. That was not on my vision board that happened because of support. So um, yeah, it started out as an, it would be cool if we had this on this new um, app called Instagram. <laughs> and then it's grown over the past six years. Oh man, oh man. Yeah, and you hit you hit the nail on the head. I was about to ask about, about the song in a bit, but let's go back in time real quick. Let's take a rewind. Let's go back to, to Louis, like, your adolescent years, a teenager, like what were you about and what were some of the things that brought you joy? Um, you know, I, I, I write a lot about my teen years. Um, I think I'm, you know, you know, forever stuck in nostalgia. Um, you know, I was always out, you know, for better or worse. Um, didn't always like it, but I, I was a very effeminate boy, like from a very, very young age. Um, you know, I can remember loving Wonder Woman as a kid and Miss Piggy and being teased because those were the people I looked up to. I didn't look up, I didn't play with G.I. Joes. I wanted to play with Barbies. Like I loved powerful women, right? Um, and even as a teen, I spent a lot of time in the house watching TV, primarily like sitcoms um, and music videos. So like music like raised me. So that's what I did as a teen. Um, found, you know, refuge in music and music videos, primarily Janet Jackson and Paula Abdul. So I was pretty a, um, a low key kind of child who would break out and dance because I thought the world should allow me to dance in the middle of a supermarket and that people would join in. Turns out that did not happen. They joined in and teasing me. But um, that never stole any other joy away from me completely. Like I hated it, right? But not enough to completely submit to it or like completely disappear. Um, so yeah, I think that, you know, that that's how I resisted as a teen. And that's, you know, that's definitely what brought me joy. I love it. I love that answer. Um, so speaking about taking a step back and all that, what is like, well, we're in the sala, you know, we're chilling in the, in the living room. What is something that um, is the most memorable thing about, your sala growing up, your living room when you were little or when you were a teen, when you were around the age that you were just talking about? <laughs> you know, it's so funny because before, um, you know, I've been watching Wonder Woman is on HBO Max, not the movie, but like the series from like that ran from like 76 to 79. So I've been wa like binge watching that because I'm forever watching things that are 40 years old. Um, I heard that. And... <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'm like, listen, they didn't have a cell phone back then. Um, <laughs> and a memory came to my mind that as a kid in like the late 80s, I was like sort of a tween and like how Wonder Woman was in syndication on Channel 57 before it became UPN, um, before it became the CW. And I don't even know what the hell it is now. Um, I watched Wonder Woman and I remember... So I'm sitting here today thinking like, I legit was this tween who would be outside sometimes playing or sitting on a step and would run back inside at six o'clock to watch Wonder Woman. 
and like having uncles and aunts walk by as I, you know, laid on the floor to watch Wonder Woman. And that came to my mind today, but I think as a teen, um, I spend less time outside, right? Um, because I think like around 1990, 91 is when I dropped out of school, it was in the sixth or seventh grade. And I would just spend time in the living room dancing, like imagining that I was in music videos. Um, and then, you know, that, yeah, that's pretty much what occupied my time. So like the living room was like, or the sala was like this place that I could make it whatever it was. Because it was everyone like else, yeah, yeah, my, my set, my stage, my backstage, um, it was all of that because everyone was outside, right? So I had this privacy mm. and this space because we didn't have a lot of furniture um, to do whatever I wanted in that space. And I loved it. Sometimes I wish I still could do that now. I mean, you can in some way, you know, you can always tap into to your inner child. Uh, is there somebody, so you were talking about sitcoms and TV and, and finding, um, you know, comfort in those things. Was there like a role model that you found in sitcoms or in cartoons? Um, somebody that you were like, damn, they're hella badass. Because for me, I always, I always loved Hey Arnold. You know, I loved the friendship that um, Arnold and Gerald had. Um, I loved Rocket Power growing up. I don't know if you watched Rocket Power, but I love just the badass shit that they would go do and just like the imaginations that they would come up with. So that was kind of like some of the things that would like really inspire my imagination when I was a kid. But I don't know if you had any like you mentioned sitcoms earlier. Um, I don't know if you have any anything that you would consider a role model. You know, I think there's so many because, you know, in the late 80s and 1990s, everything was so white. So like mm. you, um, so you like your, it's not emoji. What do you call um, someone who, oh my God, I had the word. Um, oh my God. Wait, anyway, you find ways to relate to things that don't always just look like you, right? Um, mm. So you could find the way you relate to a, like a white character on a show, not because you want to be white, but there's sure. something about their personality that you connect with. Um, so I think that in my teens, because there were absolutely, you know, very little out characters and very little Latinx characters that weren't the butt of the joke, right? Um, so like you had to like dig deep into characters that kind of like winked at you, that only you knew that there was something special about them that everyone didn't get. Mm. Um, so like, it was like Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny wasn't outwardly gay, but I remember as a kid loving that he was always up in drag. <laughs> that part, thanks. Right, you know what I mean? <laughs> that he, like the way he played with gender, the way he played with men's hearts. He'd be putting on them. the lipstick and everything, yeah. all of that. And, you know, and, you know, there is the one where he's like playing with the hair monster and he's talking like this as the hairdresser, my darling. Right. Um, I knew what that meant. Right. I didn't necessarily think that it was the butt of the joke, but for me, it was like a wink. And then there was this show that, you know, I've been watching that I always write about and mention. There was a show called Brothers, which was um, a sitcom on Showtime that ran from 1984 to 1989. And they had explicit gay characters. You know, one of the oh. stars was a gay character and he had a very flamboyant 
um, best friend named Donald. And I love that Donald was so unapologetically gay. We didn't have cable growing up. It was in syndication for about a year um, in 1989. It came on 11 o'clock at night. But I remember watching it and being like, what? Not only is right. there one gay character, but it's two. And the storylines revolve around them. You're like, like, am I the only like, one watching this? Is yeah. anyone else catching on? Like, is this my own little gay universe? Like, what is this? <laughs> so, like, it was like a utopia. And I don't remember talking about it with my friends or brothers because it was like this secret that I had, like this treasure I had stumbled upon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that carried me through. It's those little things like you find connections with shows regardless of how long they last on TV, but they're enough to hold you over into the next bridge. Right. And and as I've grown older, I've been tapping into, you know, things from when I was a kid, shows that I used to love. And and Fresh Prince is something that I um like like much like Bugs Bunny, even though Fresh Prince was straight man on on TV, like um it was just so interesting seeing Will do those things, like be like a little bit more like flamboyant with some things. He'd wear like, he'd wear crop tops, like, come on, you know? So like now as an adult, like I think back, I'm like, damn, I kind of wish I would have leaned in more into that inspiration that I, that I seen from, from shows like that, because now as an adult, I feel very seen when I watch Fresh Prince, like it has become all of a sudden my favorite show again, you know? And, and yeah, it's just, it's just crazy how sometimes we do have those windows or like those little winks, like you were saying, like you may be not as accepted, but there's some spaces that you are, you know? Yeah, I think that's, you know, part of like how queer, particularly, I think all queer people, but even more so black and brown queer people, like you find those little things that no one else sees, right? I think that's mm. the kind of language that you learn to speak in order to survive. Right, and sometimes you also adopt the things that you hear um, in music, like um, if we're talking about Juan Gabriel, lo que se ve no se pregunta, what you see you don't, what, what is visible you don't ask what it is pretty much. So if you see something, don't ask if you think, what if, it, if that's what it is, pretty much talking about sexuality. So, um, I see that you have a dope playlist on uh, Gran Barones um, Instagram link in bio. I just wanted to do a little shameless plug, but how has music helped you uh, discover queerness and like feel a little bit of that visibility as well? I mean, I think from the very, it, it's, it's <laughs> please, you do not have four hours. <laughs> I think they like, you know, in the feed, you know, Gravarones, um, I talk a lot about like how music shaped me, like from the very beginning, like, you know, like hearing um, like Diana Ross's Mira Mira getting ready to go to um, kindergarten. I have like distinct memories of loving Diana Ross, right? As, as a grown man, I get to talk about her glamorous and how like how diva she was, but I didn't have that language as a five and six year old, but I knew there was something about her that spoke to me, right? Like Irene Cara, all these artists that you're listening to probably don't even know, but like even like Liza Minnelli, like there are these, these coded things that like in the eighties and nineties, um, like women in music who broke the rules, like even Madonna, I was attracted to because 
I wasn't thinking from this feminist point of view, oh my God, they're breaking gender norms or they're asserting a feminist theory. For me, it was just like, they're not behaving the way that people say women should behave. And I like that they break the rules because I don't want to behave like they tell me all the other boys should behave, right? So I connected to that rule breaking. Like, I want to break rules like that. Of course, now I, I can attach it to theory and why I felt like that. But as a kid, the basic was like, um, I actually like that Madonna's pissing you off because she's breaking the rules. And I want to break the rules because I don't want to go around kissing girls. You know what I mean? So I think that, and I could only get that through music, right? Because um, for me, there was just, at least in the 80s and 90s, when there's no streaming, there was more access to music than maybe TV shows. You can fall in love with a song in four minutes. You may not have the time or um, the stability enough to watch a half hour show from week to week to week, right? right? So like all that was like dependent on access, but music was always like a way to feed and for me to create a world in masala. So it was like this give and take. So like music is definitely the soundtrack of my life and definitely informed how I father, how I move through the world and definitely shaped how I'm um, shaped my queerness. Oh my God. I love it. I love it. Um, so speaking about, um, you know, breaking the rules and being inspired by, you know, rebellious women. Well, I wouldn't say rebellious, but you know, outspoken, powerful, strong women. Um, my question to you is, I what was it? I was gonna ask you. Oh yeah, so I was listening to um, I was listening to you on the Chismology Anthology, I think it's called, on the podcast, and y'all were talking about um, respectable gays. You know what I'm saying? And I wanted to kind of bring that up and how you have been able to challenge a little bit of the respectability politics that comes down with being gay um or queer or in the spectrum because that's something that like that i have learned to hold near and dear to my heart that's why sometimes i like i was saying before we were recording that i sometimes prefer the term queer because it has no rules it's just a term that you can be a badass at whatever you want um so in terms of you how have you found that to be for if that makes any sense like how have you been with that you know um i you know, I, that's why i go back and forth with like gay and queer um because i think that you know for years queer for me was this very white word right i so at least in philadelphia it was associated with like i agree white white anarchist right it's only recently that you know i, I was like oh, i can make it mean what the hell i wanted to mean um and and gay, while it may not sound the term or the identity may not at first, you know, glance or on the surface sound radical for someone. I'm a Gen Xer, you know, the forgotten generation. People love the drag boomers and millennials, but everybody forgets Gen Xers, right? <laughs> um, so for me, because like I was always out, right? Because I, I didn't have the luxury of not being out like you know I was always extremely effeminate and if I told people I had a girlfriend they would have laughed at me so I had this even as a child I knew that do I want to get teased for being gay or do I want to get teased because people think I'm delusional right so exactly. I didn't have that that the luxury of like 
passing, right? So I think that, you know, I don't remember what I said on um, Ruben's podcast because I was in such a space, um, but I, you know, and as I get older and, you know, honoring my time growing up and honoring the space before us, I think respectability is the way some people are taught to survive and I get it, right? And some people are masters at it. I've tried it and I always stumble, right? Because mm. I talk the way that I do. Um, I don't, I can't name theory. I can't name queer theory. I can't recite an, an Angela Davis verse. I can't, I don't come from an academic mind or I still use double negatives and sentences. So even when I tried to be respectable, it didn't feel right for me, right? It felt even more awkward. But I get why some people move through this space, particularly Black and Latinx, queer and trans folks, because some spaces we have to do that in order to exist in them. Um, I think the conversation I'm now moving into is what does that cost us? Mm both in the individual level and the community level, right? Because we didn't invent it. We did not invent that way of being. That right. way of, of being was imposed on us. And while we now have the luxury to maybe not do it as much anymore, um, because we can call it out on social media, you can do that in 1995. If I challenged an agency in 1995, I got fired and then they told other agencies not to hire me. There was no social media for me to go, this is what's happening to me. Nice. Like, you know, you go back to community who are just like, you know, you should have done that. You should have just did your job. So you get into that mindset like, oh, I didn't survive right. Because I'm hearing it from different perspectives Ooh. from everyone around me, right? So word. I don't think that's either right or wrong. I think it's for us to, at least for me, like not judging the times that I tried to do it and try not to judge the people completely who do it um, and act like there is that like there is no reason to do it. I do know the cost and like how do we call them in and how do we have, how do we create a balance where people can be that and also be something else? And I think we're sort of getting there, um, but there is a cost to um, respectability. And we can challenge it, we can dismantle it. I'm just not in the space of disposing black and brown queer folks for doing it because we, again, we didn't invent it. And I can dispose of somebody in my life who is addicted to respectability, that does not get rid of that frame or way of thinking. Somebody else would just take their place. Wow, that was such a word and I loved it. I loved all of that. Um, and I agree. I. You know, folks need to survive in wherever they're at. And respectability also looks very different in depending on what region of the country or world you live in. You know what I'm saying? So thank you for that. Um, what I was um, going to say to that was, este, for me, I when I think about respectability as far as queerness, um, I am very new to understanding and being like completely accepting of my queerness because it's only been what like three ish years four maybe if I want to push it um, that I've really been able to understand and embrace you know um, but 
what motivates me to do and just express myself in like the ways that I want to is I just think about like my ancestors and I'm like, I think about the people that came before me that couldn't, you know, because they had to hide something. Or I just think about like, like my great, 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 great grandparents, like cousin or something that like just wanted like an ounce of like power to like just express themselves, you know, but because of colonization or but because of, um, you know, whatever the fuck, I don't know exactly where, where my blood um, line goes to, but it's just like, I just, I just like live for them, if that makes sense. Oh my God, <laughs> you got me emotional, but it's, it just does get that deep because fuck, like we, we live because they lived as well. So like, why not like be a badass? You feel me? <clears throat> oh, oh yes. And you know, and I think that's why certainly I relate to that. And I think that's why, like, like, how do I, how do we examine complicated histories without minimizing what they had to do in order to survive, right? Um, and, you know, some people are ready to have that conversation and some aren't, you know, um, that's not, I think every generation has that, but like to truly honor, like, I cry every time I find out somebody who I loved as a kid or whose music or a songwriter like um, died of AIDS. And, like it's always another loss, right? Because it's part of, you know, we, me and my partner were watching this, um, the films that made us on Netflix and they did Dirty Dancing. And I love that movie, right? Um, you know, it's a complicated movie <laughs> with different messages, but I love, love, love that movie. So like I said, let's watch a documentary about this movie. So I'm like watching, it's like all these interesting facts where they shot, like who's the story based on. And then towards the end, like the director was this um, Latinx gay guy. And when they start talking about director, it hits me. I'm like, oh yeah, why isn't the director in this? Like, we're like 45 minutes in. Why isn't the director featured? And then they say, you know, when I got the news that he was dying of AIDS and I, without even thinking about it, like the breath was taken out of me. And, and again, I didn't even know the director up until this point, right? So like, it's this weird, I don't, maybe weird is not the right word, but it's this feeling that you discover someone at 12.01 and 12.02, you're mourning them, mm. right? And I think that when we, at least for me, when I'm living my possibility, when I'm able to be open about my HIV status um, in ways that I don't even fear the way I did 20 years ago, I, 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 I celebrate that. And then uh, two seconds later, I mourn for all of my family members who didn't get to do that. Right. My family members like my father, my aunt Blanca, my uncle Jose, who did not live long enough for medication. Right. So I'm like thankful for it one minute, but then I'm reminded like the cost and the gravity it took for me to have this privilege. And that's what keeps me to be unapologetic. Right. So some of it is trauma, some of it is courage, and some of it is because I get celebrated for being that way. And some people don't. And I want to acknowledge that, you know, when you have a, when you got people cheering you on for being who you are, that gives you more wind beneath your wing to continue to do that. 
But when you're living in a space where people are always critiquing you and you know pointing out your mistakes, it's easy to fold. Um, so my hope is that everyone gets to where you are right now. Um, and I think that podcasts and conversations like this communicate to someone who may not be in a possibility right now to hear that it is possible, right? Like it doesn't get better, right? It's I'm about possibilities. Um, and I think the culmination of all our possibilities builds for a better world that, you know, my son inherits. Wow, Louis, thank you so, so much. I feel like all of that was a huge affirmation for all of us um, listening, especially for me hearing it right now. But um, before we end this interview, I just want to ask you, you told us a bit about the origination of the title Gran Baron. It came from the salsa song. Um, who was the, the one that? Willie Colon. Willie Colon, there we go. I was just listening to it the other day. I'd actually just put it in one of my playlists, but what does it mean to you to be a Gran Baron? What does that mean to you? Yeah, I think what we just said, you know, uh, my, I, you know, my complicated, I, you know, I have a complicated relationship to Latinidad, whatever that is, right? Um, because a lot of the, like, I found out who Juan Gabriel was when he died. Oh man, right? yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I found out That's who real. Selena was when she died, right? So like there, I knew Sabado Gigante because my grandmother watched it, but it wasn't part of our, in our household and everyday thing. You know what I mean? So I think that, but I think that through this project, um, I found a way, you know, again, the courage to be who I am, not just in private and not just alone with me, all those things are important as well, but like how to be in community. Mm. So I think that, um, that's where I am and I would have not gotten there had it not been for all the people who generously share their hearts and stories for this project because it is not a funded project. You know, me and Armante volunteer our time, um, you know, like we work full time. I'm a parent and he's a student. So like I think, you know, so I'm indebted to that. So I think that the, you know, for me, the the kind of I don't, I am, um, I've been taught by the community that helped build this project. And it's to always think about community and to think about that we're always part of community. And I think that's what's carried me through this wacky ass 2020, um, <laughs> you know, being stuck in this house for almost a year um, and not being able to be in space with people. So I think that, you know, um, it's made me calmer, more loving, more understanding, more um, brave enough to examine my thoughts, um, re -ex um, examine my history, examine my notions, and love myself and my community without necessarily categorizing things as right or wrong, but seeing what is and accepting what is and then building something new from that. I love it. Thank you so much for your time, Louis. Thank you. <laughs> it's been a pleasure and I Mi gente of the sala. what I tell y'all? What did I tell y'all? The Gran Varones are it. Thank you so much to Louie, man. It was just such a good time. Just being able to speak to Louie and find so many commonalities and um, 
relatability. So thank you. Go follow them on Instagram at Gran Varones on Instagram. They also have a Tumblr website that I will be linking in the show notes. So be sure to tap in and go read some of those stories. They got some great videos and just amazing content. The following segment is the last segment of the show, my friends, before I send you off to listen to your other favorite podcasts and do whatever else you gotta do. We are in La Gaveta. This is the random segment of the show where we talk about something that's kind of miscellaneous that just doesn't really fit with everything else. You can consider it the party favor of the show. It's what I give you at the end of the show before you take off. Send this to the homies. Let them know what's going on. And today we are talking about the 90s cartoons you never knew were queer. So earlier in this interview, we were talking to Louis of the Gran Barones and... He was talking to us about some of the things that he would see on TV, the representation or the lack thereof, you know. So today we're going to be talking about the 90s cartoons that you never knew were queer. It is a website that I found on Gay Star News. I don't know. It sounds pretty gay and pretty official to me. (laughs) No, but a lot of these really, 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 really made a lot of fucking sense so they had quite a few on there i believe they had like a good 15 i'll be linking the um page in the show notes but let me give you guys my top six that really had my jaw on the floor so well not all of them had my jaw on the floor because some of them were fucking apparent let's be real so the first on my list is betty deville and for those of you guys that have watched the regrets growing up like myself True 90s babies know what's up. (laughs) So Betty DeVille is one of the moms in Rugrats. And there were suggestions from the producers that she was intended to be Phil and Lil's single mother. A feminist who was not only capable, but also extremely accomplished in taking on traditional male gender roles. I read that straight from the website, just so that you guys know. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, definitely Betty DeVille was always pretty queer to me in my eyes, but I didn't really know what to call it back then. Um, Part of the article says here that there are definitely instances that Betty could have almost been intended to be a lesbian. The female sign on her shirt, so she wears this big baggy um, purple sweatshirt with a female sign in orange. And she's really interested into sports and the intimacy of her friendship with Tommy's mom, Dee Dee, is also something that people have questioned in the past. So there you have it. She could possibly be queer (laughs) or at least inspiration behind her character is definitely queer. Um, One that I had forgotten completely about you guys, this is number two on my list, is him from Powerpuff Girls. I almost said powder puff because autocorrect definitely autocorrected it to powder puff. Shout out to everybody who still calls it that in your grown adult years. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you guys have ever seen Powerpuff Girls, you guys definitely remember who him is. So him is the effeminate male in the devil's form. Him wore lipstick high thigh heeled boots like i'm sure if this was in real life which actually i hear they're trying to do a live action powerpuff girls neither here nor there whatever but if you could just imagine 
him was probably to the nines, like to the nines with these thigh high heeled boots and the skirt that him had was like this fluffy tutu um look kind of cloudy ish so for sure um queer at least presenting but the way that this website described his voice was a sing song hiding a veiled rage and i was like if y'all don't stop giving me this damn read, because don't all of us that are queer have at some point a sing-songy voice that hides our fucking rage? Shout out to him. Shout out to him. So it says here that while some thought him could be transgender or non-binary, creator Greg McCracken uses male pronouns for him. All right. Shout out to him. Uh, the next one on my list is Daria. All of you guys who have watched Daria already fucking know. Basically, Daria is this teenage girl in high school. She is just super defiant, super about just like shifting the norms to things. Um, if you know, you know. <laughs> if you know, you know. Next on my list, this one was definitely a like flashback. I was taken back because i almost had forgotten hey arnold is one of my favorite shows of all fucking time like of all time and robert simmons is one of the teachers and robert simmons was hella queer in some way at least queer to those who knew what queerness was i couldn't have ever put a finger on it that's why now as an adult i'm like bitch yes you fucking were like this motherfucker was probably if this was san francisco he was probably at the castro in the 90s just shaking ass after fucking dealing with these annoying ass random ps118 kids <laughs> like that's what mr simmons probably was all about um, so Mr. Simmons was a gay teacher and he had a close friend named Peter and creator Craig Bartlett confirmed fan speculation in an interview last year. Well, last year being the year before whenever this interview on thegaystarnews.com came out. So he says, we figured Mr. Simmons was a gay character without having to make a big deal out of it or have it be a spectacular, a special episode. I don't know why I wanted to say spectacular. <laughs> queer shit anyway or have it be a special episode or anything like that it was just part of the show's fabric bartlett said and then you have eugene oh bueno i forgot to explain that this part of the article also includes eugene one of the main characters who's a kid and then it says here and then you have eugene we figured he's not gay yet because he's still a kid but he will be when he grows up Ugh my fucking heart no but um damn eugene you was a little queer boy like you are now a queer boy in your adult days and that is fucking dope i just love when like creators have like a uh a, a vision of these characters even they even though they themselves know that the show is obviously gonna have an end Anyway, uh, next on my list is Sailor Uranus and Neptune of Sailor Moon. Um, I'm putting this one out there because growing up, I had older sisters who loved Sailor Moon. I liked it because it reminded me of Pokemon, like, because it was anime, you know, like it just had the same look. So I was like always into that. But I don't really have too many fond, deep memories about Sailor Moon. 
um, as far as personal emotional attachment. I definitely remember some scenes and episodes and how my family would be like super hyped up about like whenever that would come on because my older sisters, you know. But um, anyway, so it's a Japanese original and it was clear and factual that Sailor Uranus and Neptune were in a relationship. They were intimate together and they were rarely apart and they lived together to raise an infant. But weirdly enough, the American dub made them cousins as they were afraid of broadcasting homosexuality on TV. Bitch, what? Like, they're hella fucking fine. Like, in real life, I'm sure they would have fucking slayed the queer game. Like, get the fuck out of here, American television, trying to censor the queer culture. Como siempre. <laughs> All right, this one is the last one on my list. And this one had my jaw on the floor. This is the one that had my jaw on the floor. Mr. Smithers. All right, you guys, Mr. fucking Smithers from The Simpsons. So, Mr. Smith, when I read this, it was kind of like when you find out that your Theo or your Thea that you didn't know was queer is queer. So, you're just like, okay, so that's what that was? Damn, that's crazy. You know what I mean? So, it was one of those moments. Theo Smithers. Um, so, let me read to you guys a little bit about this article. It's just a few lines. And it says, when Smithers was debuted as a speaking character in the 90s he was like many of these characters on this list his sexuality was hinted at played with joked about but it was never made canon in other words it was never made clear if the simpsons had ended in the 90s then it probably would have stayed that way the benefit of the simpsons continuing is that as time changed then characters can be explored so that was why after nearly three decades, Smithers finally came out as gay to his love and to his boss, Mr. Burns, in an episode last year. So yeah, guys, this was the one that definitely had my jaw on the floor, like I said earlier. I watched all of these cartoons growing up, and they all sparked different memories, different times in my life. So definitely go check out the link that I'm going to be providing in the show notes. A couple of honorable mentions from the list i said it was like about 15 so a couple of honorable mentions are our real monsters because what kind of fucking sexuality does a monster have like what gotta be queer <laughs> ren and stimpy are the last on my honorable mentions as the article says here even though they were a cat and dog this lovable doofus couple bathed together and often showed their intimacy for each other but they were just two bros, or was there something homoromantic about the surreal show? I don't know. <laughs> oh my god. I feel like I've seen and experienced plenty of friendships with other men that have been similar to this, <laughs> to say the fucking least. But yeah, guys, the 90s were queer. The 90s had so much queer influence that we kind of brushed over. I definitely want you guys to go look at that article and see which of these you might relate to the most. All right, you guys. And as always, thank you so freaking much for tuning in. Thank you all to the newbies for tuning into a new podcast that I hope you guys were able to vibe out to find some relatability. 
And with that being said, today's affirmation that I'm going to leave you guys with is to find something to do that you love, even if it's sleep. <laughs> All right, folks, you can find us on Instagram and on Twitter at Plot Twist Podcast. I would love to see you guys screenshot this and share it on your stories. Shout out to everybody queer in the space and everybody who is figuring it out. I know what it's like. Trust me, guys. I do. Shout out to y'all. Sending you all much love. And until next week. Bye, guys. Oh, so it's like a radio drop. A little radio drop. I went to school for radio, so you know, gotta incorporate that <laughs> little aspect. Hey, this is little Susie, and you're listening to Power 96 <laughs> in LA. Oh, yes, something like that. A little pizzazz to it. 